0: Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? It would be so awesome if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about, kind, loving Christian conversations. It's not a sermon, not a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. Today I want to invite you to listen to a conversation that I recently had with my friend Jacob Rutledge. What the Bible actually teaches about the human body may surprise you. We tend to think of the body as disposable, perhaps even a less important part of being human, simply a vehicle that our spirit uses for a short while. But the Bible actually teaches something a bit different. Here's that conversation.
1: Well, I I mean, to me, I I do think it's important um... Uh, to, to have uh, an important understanding of what Scripture means when it says that God created man, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because that's our fundamental understanding of what man is. So you know, when it says that He created man in His image, um, He He didn't simply create a spirit, right? He created a body and a spirit. There's a duality, mm-hmm. a dual nature. And so like from the very beginning, what we witness within Scripture is that man uh, is both body and spirit, and God has a telos, or purpose, uh, for man. Okay, so when we say that God made man in His image, I think generally speaking, we only think that, um, that He's speaking of a spirit, but somehow body and spirit both reflect the glory and the image of God. Now, you know, I want to. Say, I what said that, and then somebody accused me of saying God has a, a body. You know, or or, well, that's not what I'm saying um, at all. Um, God's a spirit, so he's incorporeal. But there is something about man that he says reflects the image of God. And so that's why I think um, we, we kind of where the story begins is we have to have a proper definition and understanding of who we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then and then moving forward from that in the rest of scripture, um we can understand okay, what part does the body play uh, within theology, what part does it play uh ultimately um within uh, the final events and and things of that nature. So. And
0: and I think that it's helpful to to kind of go back to Genesis and and think about a couple of different things. One is when we say in god's likeness or in god's image i really like the term or the idea and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that on on god's image bearers mm-hmm. so that really helps me to say rather than saying that we are the image of god it's more like it's it's more like how a pagan would have thought of a idol an mm-hmm. image mm-hmm bearing the image of their God. It wasn't, I don't think that they really thought that this God necessarily looks like this, maybe, but it's more, I think a helpful comparison may be like the flag. So like a flag of a country bears the image of that country. It Mm -hmm. represents it anywhere that flag goes, it represents that country. And so you look at that flag and you say, oh, that that is a sign or a symbol that this place or these people belong to this group. And so as human beings, like you said, in our bodies and our spirits, and and even just defining that is is a mm. fun is a fun study. and I, I really encourage people to do that. But to even, you know think about you know that a, a spirit and that they would use the Hebrew and the Greek really have this idea of wind, you know, so mm. like this invisible, mm this invisible power that animates us. And so we are this physical being that's animated by this invisible force, our Mm -hmm. spirit. And, and in that our, our vocation, our job in the world is to represent God is to bring God glory because in some way we're made in his likeness, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're of the same, the same essence or the same, that our, our physical being is, 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 you know like god but right. that it, it 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 points everything it's supposed to point everything in this physical world to to the creator.
1: Well and you see that connection between image bearing and vocation mm-hmm. within the creation uh, account you exactly. see uh, god making them in his image and then the vocational requirement is go and have dominion over the earth. So, And the idea is that we are his co-regents. We are his mm-hmm. uh, individuals who are declaring the reign of God uh, within creation uh, by creating, uh, having dominion and properly caring for and tending to creation itself. And you see that within the Garden of Eden, even before the fall, where he's tending to the garden and caring for the garden. He has a, a particular purpose. In fact, that, that that is, of course, the irony of the fall of man is that Satan convinces man that if you do this if you commit this sin if you if you break god's law you'll actually be more like god and, and the irony of that is they're already they're already like god yeah. so so they're already made in the image of god and so you see that there's a distortion of the identity of humanity at the very beginning of of the creation and really that's why it's so paramount for us to understand who we are as individuals and as humans and so I think the reason it's important for us to have this discussion is because there's a lot of there's a, a lot of important reasons for us to have this discussion. but I, I, I think that there at times is a tendency to emphasize uh, the spirit at the expense of the body. Mm-hmm. you know like I've, I've heard this um, I just saw it on Twitter the other day, someone retweeting this quote of um, saying, well, um, you have a body, yeah. right? But you are a spirit. I'm sure you've yes, seen I've that heard before. that. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. a quote from someone I, I don't really know who, but it may be Lewis, it may be C.S. Lewis, yeah. but it may be not. I maybe no, I, I, I don't I don't know I don't know if he would say, it, but um, but it was someone popular, I think yeah. like that. Um, but it, but so you have a body, but you are a spirit. Well, that's not um, that's not biblically correct, in my opinion, um, because you you are you are a body. And you are a spirit. So there's a duality. You're not an angel, right? Angels are spirits, ministering spirits, flame of fire, Hebrews 1 and verse 14, and and the psalm there. Um, They're ministering, they're incorporeal, but humans are not the same nature as angels. And so um, uh, we're a little lower than the angels, of course. Mm -hmm. So there is a difference there. And and so we are both body and spirit. And that's where I think it gets back to theologically understanding uh, what it means to be... Uh, a human. What what is the biblical definition of what it means to be a man? And so, um, and and so, there's implications to that, right? So, if um, the body plays a part within God's creation and it has a telos, it has a purpose. Then that means that um, that what I do in some way matters to the body, right? Mm-hmm. And we would even say that I mean, we would say and and I, and I and I've kind of seen sometimes inconsistency in how people address there's like well on one hand they'll say well it doesn't really matter what we do to the body the body's going to be destroyed in the end but at the same time, they'll dissuade people from uh, partaking of tobacco or um, doing drugs or uh, have, even having a tattoo. They'll, they'll dissuade mm-hmm. people from, from doing those things to the body. And then they'll say, well, but the body's going to be destroyed. Well, you know, there, there's kind of, in my mind at least, there's a disconnect between that. Because yeah. if ultimately the body doesn't matter, then really what does it matter that you do to the body? Right. It, it, you know, there's, if there's no purpose for it. And so we would say, no, that, that um, there is a purpose for the body. And not to say that, um, as we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, that the resurrection won't overcome any scars or any things that we have in this body. But um, there is some connection uh, and purpose as we're good stewards of what we have. And um, so I, I, I think it's really important for us to understand that. Um,
0: yeah, and, and I think that, and and again, as we get into the idea of the resurrection and we get into the idea of death, and I, and I, I see a big problem with how I tended to think about death. I was thinking about that this morning as we were preparing for this discussion. I was thinking about the fact that I often thought of death as a, in fact, I've even expressed it this way, as a graduation ceremony. Like we're graduating from this life and we're going to the next one. And, and Paul does say that, you know, to die is gain. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, and he says to depart is to be better because I'm with the Lord than I am now. But he also says, and, and I think that this is a, an important passage in 2 Corinthians 5, as he's talking about the body as a dwelling place mm-hmm. for the Spirit, he he says, and it's really easy to kind of pass over this part where he says that we we don't want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed. Right. He says that to right. be to be a disconnected spirit which it's possible to be i mean that's mm-hmm. that's what Absolutely. you can be a human yeah. being and be disconnected from a body but that's an unnatural state and and it's one that that really that's not the desire mm-hmm. in the mind of, I think a lot of Christians, the way I grew up thinking was that that was to be the desirable state, to just mm-hmm. be a spiritual body free from the, the, the physical body that I live in now and free from any, any physical body and yeah. be free from that. But, but Paul says, no, he says, he refers to that
1: as being naked. That That's exactly right. right. That's right. naked. Yeah. Right.
0: And, and, and we need to, I think we need to incorporate that into our language mm-hmm. that, that, that's a, a a naked state. I don't know if yeah. you would say that at a funeral or something, but, but, but I mean, but that's how Paul thought of it, Right. that it's this temporary in-between time where your spirit is naked. And that's, that's not really what we desire. Um, God will protect us and, and keep us safe in that naked stage, in mm-hmm. that stage where we don't have, where this physical body has died. But then not only will we, be resurrected. And, and I think, let, let's so let's, let's transition into that. So, so this body is a part of who we are as a human being. It's not, and, and maybe even let's talk about, even before we get to the resurrection, I guess, but, but I've heard people say things like, like you said, that we're not a body with a spirit, we're a, a spirit with a body. And I've heard people talk about, um, that we should think of ourselves as like spirits driving in a car and this this body is our car. But that's not that's not true. That's not how we experience life. I mean if well, it's I it's not biblical. that's right. It's not biblical, but it's not experiential either. No. So if I cut my hand, I don't say, Well, that's just my physical self. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> right. matter. I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't think that way. Nobody <laughs> yeah. thinks that way. We're trying to convince ourselves of something that's neither true nor biblical.
1: Well, and I and I think as often is the case, um, we create false dichotomies. We, we create false conflicts. Like we were talking about this morning at breakfast, um, you know, we, we say, well, you you either, um, it's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. And we tend to, we tend to create these false conflicts. We're like, well, actually, why can't it be both? Yeah. You know? And we say, well, it's not about the body. It's about the spirit. It's not about the spirit. It's about the body. It's like, well, no, let's not say either or let's say what the Bible says, which is, which is both. Yeah. Right. And um, I, I think that uh, there's an interesting passage, um, which by the way, of course, we need to be very careful about how much we de-emphasize the physical, material, physical world, because that's that's not Christianity, that's Gnosticism, that's right? That's right. And so the Gnostics believed, and the Greeks believed, that the body was a prison, right? That was, that was Grecian philosophy, which ultimately was some of the influence on Gnostic uh, theology, was that uh, the the body was a prison for the spirit, and that the spirit was constantly straining to get out of this prison, and I would say the vast, well, I would say the, I don't want to say the vast majority, but there are quite a few Christians that have that particular view of the body, and we've been in. That's not. That's not uh, what, what we would say. It was many times we call Orthodox Christianity, mm-hmm. but um, uh, not biblical Christianity, is what I like to say. So, um, but there is this interesting passage in First Corinthians chapter six that I think helps us to understand this. Um, in verse uh, fifteen of First Corinthians chapter six, he says, "Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the?" Um, members of, uh, make the members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one uh, spirit with him. And that's not, that's not even really the passage I was looking for. I got a little bit lost here in the text. But there's a, there's a um, oh, verse, verse 13. He says that at the end of verse 13, uh, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. So that that's an interesting concept there, uh, and and I think extremely applicable to our current society, which essentially views the body as simply an instrument for sex. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean that's really uh, we gauge our value based upon who we sleep with, how many people we sleep with. Um, there's a the uh, sexual identity is probably the key factor in. Um, in in our identity in today's society. And that was the case um, in Paul's day and time. You know, fornication was tied into a big part of how they viewed their bodies. And he says, no, your body is not made, is not even, he says, sexual immorality here, but your body's ultimate end is not sex. You know, I mean, that... That, that in and of itself is, is important, I think, for us to understand. It's like people feel as if they're not truly human unless they ha- are having sex with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not biblical. Now, your body is made to where it can have sex and enjoy that within the confines of marriage, and sex is a beautiful thing created by the Lord within its proper context. But if we view the body simply as a, 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 an instrument for sex, Paul says it's not for sexual immorality, it's not for fornication, but what it is for. Your body is for the Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of your body... Is made to be an instrument for for the Lord, but then he says the Lord is for the body. That's an interesting concept. You don't really quite know what he's saying there, except for I think what he's saying is the Lord uh, is for the body, right? He is for it, right? He's going to use it. Um, He has a purpose for it, and that's why we see uh, Romans chapter twelve and um, you know First Corinthians chapter six and other passages. where he ends in verse 20, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, right? Mm-hmm. And in your spirit. There's not simply glorifying God in your spirit. It's glorifying God in your body, in your spirit. It's continuing this idea of this duality in which God is wanting to use your body for his glory and for his purpose. So it's, it's an incredible thought. and yeah. maybe a little bit different than sometimes... What we think of it, as. you
0: know, and 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 there are so many things. So you touched on sexual morality, which obviously is right there in the text, but then so many other other implications of what we're talking about, because this is a foundational this is a fundamental foundational worldview topic mm-hmm. that if we get wrong, we get a lot of things wrong. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was talking about racism one time and somebody that, and that's when the comment came up about, well, we're really just a spirit inside of these, these vehicles, you know, inside of these bodies. Uh, so we need to look past the person's skin color and look at their inner person. I, I disagree with that because, yeah. and I appreciate, you know, obviously I appreciate the fact that they're trying to overcome racism right. and help other people overcome right. racism, but but it, it's really insulting to say mm-hmm. your skin color is something I have to look past. Your body mm-hmm. is something I have to look past. I have to try to see your invisible person. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible says we don't look at people like that. We we see the outer man. God does see the inner man, mm-hmm. our heart and our mind and our intentions and our motivations and all of those things. And we, we see this outer person. But that's that's who you are, Jacob. You you are this this body that is in front of me. I am this body. Uh, An African American is that body? uh, An Indian or a you know? I mean, whatever race or nationality or ethnicity they are, that's who they are. And Mm -hmm. to dismiss that and Mm -hmm. say, well, you're not really that. You're you're really this like invisible person inside. That's really a, a, a non-biblical way to to think about things, hmm. and it's really an insulting way to think about things. Um, we really have to appreciate and celebrate. Who people are in their wholeness, right. and that's where, right. really what we're talking about—is this mm-hmm. holistic way of of dealing with humanity, ourselves and other people. And it also has to deal with, you know, when we go on missions, you know, we we send missionaries overseas, or when we um, do do mission work in our own backyard or whatever, we have a tendency maybe to downplay some of the physical things, you know, feeding people and putting clothes on people's back mm-hmm. and and taking care of people's quote unquote physical needs because we say, well, the church exists to minister to people. Spiritually, not physically. Well, uh, mm-hmm. I don't. Again, mm-hmm. it's not an either or. That's not the way Jesus operated. It's not the way the apostles operated. It's not what James says about yeah. pure and undefiled religion. It it's got to be both because well, people again, are full Well, and again, that beings.
1: idea of, of, of uh, what does it mean to minister to someone uh, spiritually? Now, I I realize that um, uh, if we're not um, Teaching someone the gospel and all we're doing is ministering to, giving them food. Well, that's not our ultimate end as the church. You know, Absolutely. anybody can do that. Right. You know, but at the same time, uh, spiritual uh, in in one sense means originating from God, originating yes. from the spirit yes. of God. Yes. And so, um, as we see within the judgment scene within Matthew chapter twenty-five, for example, um, the the ministering to someone spiritually within that context is putting clothes on their back feeding them, um, visiting them when they're sick and healthy. Well, those are physical things, but yet it's a spiritual ministry. Why? Because it's born out of our relationship with God and born out of the Spirit of God and so uh, and what He has directed us to do within Scripture. And so, um, whereas the secular man, uh, who is not mindful of God, maybe would operate differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting... <laughs> Sometimes how we create this this conflict between spiritual and, and physical, of course, uh, and there is to a certain extent uh, focusing on the temporal and uh, how things currently are and how things will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I I think it's, it's 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 as we've said over and over again, it's not doesn't represent the full biblical picture in that way.
0: Well, and I love what you said about spiritual meaning originating from God because every time that. Now, obviously, the the Greek adjective is, is slightly different, but it's similar in that the 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 word is, is spirit. Mm-hmm. So it is an adjective that describes the nature of something as being spiritual, mm-hmm. um, and almost every time, there may be some exceptions I can't think of, but almost every time that Paul uses that kind of wording to use an adjective to describe something as spiritual, he's talking about it originating from God. He's mm-hmm. not talking about it necessarily as being non-physical. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we we set up that dichotomy that if something's physical, it can't be spiritual. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. say the opposite of physical is spiritual. That's not that's not necessarily mm-hmm. true because mm-hmm. something can both be physical and spiritual. It can right. be physical and from God. It can be physical and done in a godly way. And so, in fact, I, I've often joked that that I think we ought to capitalize spiritual, you know. So mm-hmm. we, we realize mm-hmm. this is what Paul is saying is this is from the Spirit of God. This is not from man. This is from God.
1: Right, right. I, I absolutely. And I, and I noticed that... Um, um, the, uh, the that that kind of idea within the Sermon on the Mount recently, hmm. um, where where generally we, we kind of tend to think um, I, I think well I think we see that good conf- the, the what scripture is talking about in Matthew chapter six where he talks about take heed you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do, do not sound a trumpet before you, as a, uh, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. So notice the contrast between that is, is uh, where are you receiving your glory and your reward from? Is it uh, resting in the Father and what He gives from heaven, or is it resting in the temporal praise of men? And that's really the contrast yeah. is, is where uh, does our hope lie? What is our faith in? Is it in the temporal praise of men, the the passing praise of men, uh, or is it in the everlasting glory of our of our Father? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a good contrast there.
0: So let's let's kind of transition. I I transitioned and then I sidetracked myself earlier, <laughs> but uh, but but let's let's talk about that idea of if if we learn to think of this body as good, which God said it was, God said all of this creation mm-hmm. was good, mm-hmm. that the only thing that was not good was, was our sin. And and when we we sinned and we chose to seize the the knowledge of good and evil for ourselves um, and essentially become our own gods uh, or try to be, and we fell, rebelled against God, then, then something happened in the world and we were, humans were, Banished, and I I like that word banished or exiled, and I think the whole Bible is this exile story. Mm. Um, And so we were exiled from the place of life to the place of death. And so we, like Israel, was exiled into Babylon, humanity is exiled out of Eden and into, into a realm, into a place of death, and no longer in the garden where we could eat of the tree of life. Now we're exiled from the presence of God and from the tree of life where we could live and e- we could eat and live forever. And so now here in this realm, now we have to deal with the fact that everything is subject to decay and everything, um, everything around us, including our own bodies, which are good, are decaying and dying. They're in bondage, and, and we could touch on Romans 8, you know, and that's what Paul says, that, that there is this bondage. And, and when we learn to see things biblically, I think that we learn to see that process as something to be lamented, as, as something to say, you know what, Jesus has the answer, and so the good news is there, but we have to understand that the decay and the death of physical things... Is a result of sin, and, mm-hmm. and this is this is a brokenness mm-hmm. that only Jesus can answer.
1: Well, and death, of course, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, is viewed as um, uh, the enemy, right? right? The final enemy. And I, I don't particularly like Christian language that makes death out to be its fr- our friend, um, because death uh, in Scripture is referred to as an enemy. Now, when Paul is focusing on death being gained, he's not focusing on the agency by which he comes to be with the Lord, but the fact that he is with the presence mm-hmm. of the Lord. But that still doesn't. Uh, negate the fact that he would, of course, still view death um, as an enemy. Now, you mentioned Romans chapter eight, which of course a key passage besides First Corinthians chapter fifteen within the resurrection. But uh, I I think that in some ways Romans chapter eight is kind of the high point of what an argument or not necessarily an argument but a process that Paul begins in Romans chapter six mm-hmm. actually. So he says in Romans chapter six um, that within baptism and within salvation. The inner man, he says, has been resurrected. So in verse 5, "...if we have been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be uh, in the likeness of his uh, resurrection, knowing that this our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin." And uh, then he goes about um, uh, talking about uh, the inner resurrection that we experience uh, within baptism and within faith within Christ uh, by the grace of God. And so the inner man has been resurrected, okay, but the outer man hasn't. So the inner man has been redeemed, but the outer man is still unredeemed. And and he talks about how the body can still be weaponized by sin to create this conflict, and he mentions that in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from uh, uh, uh as instruments of of righteousness to God so the inner man has been redeemed, but the body is unredeemed. And the body, he said, can still be presented. It still creates this conflict because sin weaponizes the desires, the natural desires of the body to create this conflict between the inner renewed man and the outer unredeemed man. And so that leads into the conflict of Romans chapter 7, where mm-hmm. Paul says, listen, I want to do what's good, but I don't have the ability to carry mm-hmm. it out. And he's talking about this conflict between what he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do. And then we that all leads up to Romans chapter 8, where he says, there's going to be a time because of the Holy Spirit that's within you, in which the outer man is going to be redeemed because the inner man is redeemed. Mm-hmm. And they're going; these desires are now going to work together, not, not going to be in conflict. And so you see that within verse 11, um, well, really starting at verse 9 of Romans 8. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead. Notice, the body is dead because of sin. I don't think he's talking about some metaphorical body. I think he's talking about the physical mm-hmm. body. Uh, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So there's that conflict he's been talking about since Romans chapter 6. And then he says, but, verse 11. So he says, here it is. Your body is dead because of sin. The spirit alive is because of righteousness in the universe. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now, notice the connection there. The spirit already has life, but the body is dead. But Paul says, but there's coming a time when the body will be redeemed. Uh, because of the Spirit that dwells within you. And notice he says he will give life to your mortal bodies. I mean, there mm-hmm. should be uh, no question about that. And then he jumps down, of course, um, what is it, verse 23? Um, Not only that, but we also who had the first for the Spirit, even we ourselves grown uh, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption, which is the redemption of... Of the body. And what we say redemption is, is to buy back. So Mm -hmm. God's going to buy the body back. He's going to buy back what sin has done to the body, the corruption and the decay within. Uh, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started preaching a little bit. I got to watch where my hands go <laughs> in here. <laughs> but, um, well, and even
0: and and I like to think because I I mean I totally agree that redemption is buying back, but it's also I think for for Paul and for anybody with the background of of the Old Testament, redemption also has this language of of bringing back from exile, mm-hmm. and so it mm-hmm. has this Exodus language to right. it, or this right. language of the prophets talking about the return to Jerusalem, that that our bodies, our—and and let the listener hear that what we're saying is, in some way, the body that we have, our, our physical body, our tangible body, will be redeemed. It will be brought out of exile. Right now, it is an exiled body that is subject to and in slavery to bondage and decay, uh, corruption. But when the Lord comes back, it will be brought out of exile. It will be, as you said, bought back. The The mm-hmm. price has already been paid. The, the and, and that's what's so awesome about the resurrection itself is that it's Jesus' resurrection that is the, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's the first fruit. I just turned <laughs> I knew you were getting ready for it. Uh, so... so the the, resur- the resurrection of jesus is the first fruits and and i think that's a whole another subject that, that yeah. we don't tend to understand when yeah. somebody thinks first fruits they they think of just the best or you know the the first part of it but but the way the the gift of the first fruits would work the feast of the first fruits is that when when the harvest would begin, it would be to take the first of it even before the rest of the crops were ready, and to take the first part of it and, and offer that as a sacrifice. And mm-hmm. it's like you don't you don't really know for sure how the harvest is going to turn out yet, but you are confident, you, you have hope in a biblical sense. you have confident expectation that God will give you a good harvest. And so you're willing to take the first of that and give it to God as a kind of a down payment, knowing that he's going to come through on the rest of your harvest.
1: It's the, it's the, it's the, what how I would describe it is, it's the first of more to come. That's so right. So like That's when you exactly. go, when you go out to the garden, uh, we used to guard, we used to have a garden growing up and I remember going out and uh, watching the tomatoes. Uh, my wife hates tomatoes. I love tomatoes, but we would go out and look at the tomatoes and, um, uh, we would see them growing and growing a green, and you would wait, and you see a little bit of red come on one of them, and then you'd see one of them fully ripen. Yeah. Well, as, first, as soon as that one ripened, you'd pick it, and you'd go inside, and you'd say, look, this is the only tomato we're going to get all season. No, that's not what you say. Right. right? You say, this is the first of more to come, just like this one. Something more to come, just like this one. That's so exactly. that's what Paul is saying in yeah. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. The resurrection of Christ is God saying to his Exiled people, that there's going to be a time where he says there's more going to come just like this one, yes. and and it's it's very clear uh, that we, that Jesus was raised bodily. I mean, he makes that very clear within Luke's account. He comes to Thomas. His spirit does not have uh, flesh and bone. Yeah, right. This is not simply my spirit. And they knew what a spirit was. They knew what a ghost was. Right, right, I mean, right. So they knew that it wasn't simply a spirit that he was raised bodily. And God says, "You're going to be raised just like this one." And so, uh, and and not only did he
0: did he have flesh that could be touched but he ate food and and I yeah. think that that kind yeah. of stuff will blow our mind if we think about it because I mean I've always thought well well after Jesus comes back I mean there won't be any more eating yeah. or drinking you know nothing that we do now and it's like well that that's not <laughs> biblical you know I mean Jesus Jesus was able to eat I mean he yeah. had a real body it was changed and we can get to that in a second right, right. but but it was still a physical body. My
1: um, my daughter was disappointed to hear that the the first meal that Jesus ate after the resurrection was fish. <laughs> she, <laughs> she she said, "Well, are we going to eat in heaven?" I said, "Well, it talks about it being the uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb." And she goes, looked at me with disgust. She said, "There won't be fish, will there?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Ho- hopefully, some pizza or something. Yeah. That's funny. So. But yeah, so.
0: So that's that's really Paul's focus in First Corinthians 15, because he's apparently addressing people that don't believe in in a resurrection, uh, in in a general resurrection. Yeah, and he's saying, yeah, but Jesus was raised, and that's the whole point of the resurrection is that because of Jesus' resurrection, you know, we can be confident that that we too will be raised, and that that resurrection hasn't already happened, and and that it's it's coming. And but then he talks about in such such ob- you know he he even says you know you want to know what kind of body you'll be raised with and you know he he almost says that's a stupid question yeah. but <laughs> but then he, but then he really gives us some ideas that right. that we will be like Christ mm-hmm. and that our bodies will be changed mm-hmm. and what is mortal will become immortal what is perishable will become imperishable mm-hmm. but but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean non-physical mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think it <laughs> It's um it's interesting uh, that uh, a lot of this discussion takes place in Corinth, right? Which is you know the Grecian right, good area. point, yeah. And uh, I I don't know I don't think there's necessarily a, a coincidence, um, but yeah, I, I think that Paul's uh, major emphasis here is that um, within in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Uh, there will obviously be a change. There will obviously be some type of uh, transformation. and but the transformation that he talks about within the context, he gives the different examples of uh, different types of glory, different types of flesh. and he says there will be a transformation, but make no doubt, you know, make uh, it's it's your body. And so um <laughs> there's a difference between the spirit and the body. I mean, there just is when we say something about a ghost, we say, well, they're a disembodied spirit mm-hmm. okay? Now we might say they have the form of that, um, Particular person, it seems in some way we do somehow retain our uh, somewhat of our identity at least within Scripture even when we're apart from the body. Uh, for example, uh, there's there's Lazarus and other examples Abraham, um, but um, at the same time they would say they are disembodied spirit. So when Scripture talks of us having a body, it's not simply saying oh well. Uh, our spirits are going to float up and be in heaven with God for all of eternity. No, he's saying there is going to be a resurrection of the body, and it's going to be the, the transformation is from corruptible, corruptible to incorruptible, as you mentioned, from, from weakness to power. And I, I think sometimes, from my study at least, um, uh, the, the idea of, you know, because he does say it's going to be a spiritual body. Verse 44 it's sown a natural body, mm-hmm. and it is raised a, uh, a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so I think sometimes when we go to that passage, we think Paul is saying, well, that means our spirits. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's that the contrast is natural and spiritual. And within the context, he's saying the natural body is the body that is fitted to our current existence, right? And the spiritual body is fitted for an eternal existence with the Father. Uh, and, and you see this contrast, for example, he uses the same exact language in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just a few passages mm-hmm. earlier, when he's talking about the difference between the natural person and the spiritual person. Now, what's the difference between a natural person and the spiritual person in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? One of them is oriented towards the Spirit and one of them is not oriented towards the Spirit. The natural man does not understand the Spirit of God, nor can he, right? So he's oriented towards the physical, and the, or rather, I don't want to say, the, he's orient, oriented towards uh, the, the, the temporal and the passing, uh, a, a fleeting world and the pleasures of this life, and he's not looking towards the, the greater reality that will come later. And he says, so that's the difference. Between, and so when, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Um, And he says, well, this person's a spiritual person. We don't think that he means that they're uh, just made of spirit. Mm -hmm. That's not what he means there. Well, he's using the same exact... If we're going to use the greater context of 1 Corinthians 15, he's using the same language in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, mm-hmm. that he's a spiritual person. So what does that mean? I think it means what he was saying in Romans chapter 8, that is oriented now, now the entirety of our existence, body and spirit, resurrected and redeemed, is oriented towards the Spirit of God. Yeah. It's empowered and oriented towards the Spirit of God. Um, and I would even say, I would even say where that body comes
0: from, because again, the, and I like the way the ESV puts it, it it's that contrast between natural and spiritual. Uh-huh. In fact, the 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 root of the word natural is psuke. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in fact, it might even be a more literal translation to say a soulish body versus a mm-hmm. spiritual body. Mm-hmm. And so to me, what he, the contrast is between a body that just comes from the the natural way a body comes, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, my body came from the, the union of my parents. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's all of our bodies came from that natural union. And so that was the origin of this body, but our transformed body will be a, a change in this body so that its origin is, is the spirit of God. And he, through him, he will change and transform this body so that it's not just soulish, it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and I the way I always read this, though, was between physical and spiritual, and that's not at all what he's saying. Like you said, mm-hmm. he's talking about spiritual with a capital S, not spiritual with a lowercase S. You know, he's talking about from the spirit or, like you said, oriented towards the spirit. Um, but I think one of the things where we get hung up, or I'll, I'll, I've gotten hung up and I've heard other people in conversation get hung up, is in verse 50, where he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so... I, I think that we read that and we think, oh, well, see right there, Jacob, it says, you know, we won't be flesh and blood. Yeah. And we interpret that to mean we won't be physical. Uh, but if we look at how Paul uses that, that phrase and even that concept of flesh, and, and that's a, man, that's a good study to talk about how Paul uses flesh. So flesh can be both literal, you know, like your skin on your body, and it can be kind of a metaphor and talking about weakness. And so, unfortunately, I think unfortunate. The NIV translators a lot of times will translate that as you know, s- sinful nature or something like that. Right, but right. but what what he's really saying is that the flesh is weakness. It's this this metaphor for the fact that that we are physically weak in that we're corruptible and we wear out and we die, uh, and we're also morally weak. We're susceptible to sin, and so he's saying that the the weakness of this body cannot inherit that that. There has to be a transformation that happens, but it's going to be a transformation in that this body, this literal physical body of mine on the day of resurrection will be resurrected and transformed so that it is no longer a natural body that is susceptible to the weakness of this flesh and blood.
1: Yeah, and I think the idea of flesh and blood, again, has to do with orientation as well because, um, for example, in Galatians chapter 1, whenever Paul says... That when he uh, was converted, he did not consult with flesh and blood, mm-hmm. right? So he did not consult with. Well, what's he trying? To, what's the point he's making in Galatians one? Well, the point he's making is that the revelation that he received was from the Lord yep. and it was not from man right so what I think Paul is saying within first Corinthians chapter 15 again is that this newly resurrected body is not going to be oriented towards the corruptible it's not going to be oriented towards the natural world as we now experience it but it's going to be incorruptible and he even says that within the context that it's not it's about corruption and the focus is on on corruption um, so I think that yeah you're actually you're absolutely right uh, in that You know, one thing that this always kind of brings up
0: is the idea of how somebody dies and, you know, what happens to our body. You know, if somebody dies in a fire or somebody dies Mm -hmm. at sea Mm -hmm. um, or somebody's cremated for that matter. Um, And this is just my view is that (laughs) our God is all-powerful and I have every confidence in the world that if my body was burned up in a fire that the Lord will resurrect me on the day of resurrection. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've also kind of changed my mind on I used to, I used to have this feeling of and 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 I do not hold any any sort of disdain before but for anybody who decides to be cremated or have their, their loved one cremated because that was what I always wanted to do because it's the cheapest option and I just wanted <laughs> to do that I mean frankly that's that's really yeah. what I was thinking um, and and I had this idea that I don't want anybody to come visit my grave it's like I'm not there I'm I floated away I have nothing to do with that body anymore I'm done with that I've gone away. But, but I think that there's a powerful there's a powerful testimony in the fact that Christians traditionally have always believed in burial, not because we don't believe that the Lord could resurrect ashes, because He absolutely can, uh, because our body's going to turn to ash anyway. It's going to mm-hmm. it's going to fully decay if enough time goes by. But there's a powerful testimony to saying I believe that my body will be raised from the dead and transformed to be an imperishable body, that there is a testimony to a graveyard, that that may not be the most practical way to deal with with the dead, but we literally believe that the Lord will return and that the dead will be raised imperishable.
1: Well, and there's a couple of interesting things about that. Not only the rich tradition of, of saints being buried, um, but it was in buried in contrast to the pagan practice of cremation. Yes. So what? why did the pagans cremate? Because they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, why did Christians bury their dead, even to the extent of the catacombs? You know, right? Um, because they had a, an inherent belief in the resurrection. That that in and of itself, the burial practices of the early church gives us insight into their theology. Okay, and so there. And and what's another interesting thing is what we don't see anymore. And I and I kind of I know it's kind of odd. Um, but used to, churches would have their own cemeteries, mm-hmm. right, that mm-hmm. was next door to the church. And <laughs> when I told my wife that, because we passed an old church at a cemetery, she said, oh, that's kind of creepy, you know, having a cemetery out there. I said, well, the reason they did that is because they would bury the saints in the churchyard in hope of the resurrection. Right. So in some way, interestingly enough, this, those parish saints were still considered a part of the church, right? So... That while the church that's in the building is partaking of the Lord's Supper in, until the Lord returns in hope of the resurrection... Um, they also have these other saints that are with the Lord and awaiting the return and awaiting the resurrection. So, um, you know, for your, your you know your upcoming building plans, you know, you just put a cemetery in there. You <laughs> <know>? so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that would go over these days. Yeah, and that, and
0: that's you know, and again, I, I I don't want anybody to think that what we're saying is that it's wrong right. uh, yeah. to be buried in whatever cemetery or to be cremated or or whatever. That that's not at all what we're saying. But but what we are saying is that that Christians have always believed from the time of Paul to now, yeah. uh, that, that this body is very important and that it's good and that one day it will be redeemed. Just as our yeah. soul, our spirit is redeemed, um, our body will be redeemed and will be transformed and our, we will live with the Lord forever bodily, which, by the way, Jesus is still, is still in his body. And mm. that's, and that's mm. something I think that we, we sometimes forget.
1: Oh yeah well I just I preached on that yesterday about the continual mediatory aspect of Jesus and in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, 1 Corinthians. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 uh, there Paul says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the, the man, man Christ yeah. Jesus. So that's after his ascension and within his current mediatorial role. So he is the man. Uh, he continues to share uh, within our nature. Uh, and I would say that about cremation, uh, just one more note on that is I, I, I've had people ask me about that, particularly when it comes to speaking on the bodily resurrection, which, by the way, sadly, whenever I teach on this, um, I have people come up and say, well, I've never heard that before. I've never heard it. And I think there are quite a few Christians who don't quite believe in what the, uh, the bodily resurrection, at least the way the Bible describes it. And they're so encouraged by it. They're so uh, invigorated by it which I think is encouraging. But they also ask about cremation. And I would say, as you would say, I, I don't condemn anyone for, for uh, deciding to do that practice. I maybe would caution them on it. Right. Um, I, I don't condemn, but I caution. Simply because I think that if we're really going to give the entirety of our lives, body and spirit, to the glory of God, that our death should be a final confession to our theology. Yes. So our death should be a final confession that I do believe in the resurrection of the dead. I do believe that God can, now, and I, and you know, and I think that if God can create man out of dust, and He can create man out of ashes, you know, sure. ashes. Um, but I think that, uh, for me at least, uh, personally, I hope that my my burial, uh, as cheap as the coffin may be, uh, will be a final confession to what I truly believe as a Christian. Uh, that God will resurrect the body; He will, um, He will redeem that. And um, so that's the hope. That's the hope. And I, I was reading the other day, and um, I think this is an important discussion. Well, I don't think it is. I know it is. That's why we're talking about it. But I, I, I think it's important, even more important sometimes we realize, because I was reading through Ephesians the other day, and there's something Paul said in Ephesians that I think is relative to this discussion, if you'll just give me a moment. In um, verse 18, he says, this is his prayer for the saints there, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? So he wants their eyes to be open to the reality of the glory of the inheritance that they're going to receive because of Jesus Christ and the power that he's going to, that's language of Romans chapter eight, mm-hmm. that the, the exceeding great power that he's going to work in the redeemed by his spirit on the resurrection. He's going to transform them by the spirit that dwells within. That's, that's the, that's resurrection language. So, um, god wants christians to know the glory that they're going to receive the inheritance that they're going to receive and and uh, shame on us as ministers when we don't help them to see that glory right shame on us when we when we fail to do that and so that's why one of the reasons i think it's so important and that's why i think christians are invigorated by this discussion maybe a little bit confused because they have to maybe reorient their thinking re re re, uh, change their thinking a little Mm bit um not to be less biblical in my opinion but to be more biblical, to be more scriptural, to be more true to the text, um, and, and to not simply go to one text and isolate it from the rest of Scripture, yeah. Uh, but to, to take the, the entire scope of Scripture, all going, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis and understanding what does it mean to be a human, what does it mean to be a man. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this encouraging.
0: And I hope you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.